there in podcast land. Welcome to the Retirement Coach Podcast. I'm Mike Keenan, your host. Last week, we dealt with two excerpts from my book, Don't Ever Quit, a journal of coping with crisis and nurturing spirit. Today's excerpt is from part two, Prostate Problem. At 73, well past midlife, heading towards afterlife, and definitely somewhere on the exit ramp, I joke that my chronological age is caught up to my IQ. Men my age and some younger often encounter prostate problem. I'm no exception. Unfortunately, the pesky prostate resides in a delicate anatomical area surrounding the urethra just below the bladder. It can be felt by a doctor during a rectal exam, and this tends to bring us much closer to our doctors. I've often thought of rewarding mine with a floral bouquet. In my second biopsy, they placed a probe up my rectum to take pictures of the prostate. Depending on how they turn out, I might have one enlarged to hang on our bedroom wall. After the photo shoot, they injected two local anesthetics. Conscious, I'm part of the game as it's played out, rather than groggy in the stands after consuming far too much booze. Next, they employ a needle-like device which plucks 12 samples from all around the prostate like a prospector digging for gold, except that the device sounds like a staple gun. It's unsettling at first, but not painful. After the first few loud clacks, I'm resigned to my fate. Exactly 15 days later, I'm at the hospital to see where I stand. There was some blood in my urine for several days after the needles, but otherwise no big deal. Three years ago, my first biopsy revealed three areas of low-grade cancer cells, which usually grow slowly and are not aggressive. Having studied municipal bylaws from my earlier experience as a town councillor, the word that intrigues me here is usually. Lawyers love to foster that kind of ambiguity, which guarantees larger fees through protracted billing time. Much legal practice works in this fashion. There's been anxiety during the 15-day wait period, yet, as a true male, I soldier on, admitting concern like a hockey coach after a close loss, but not wanting to dwell upon it. Upon registration in the cancer ward, Russian author Alexander Solzhenitsyn would appreciate that gulag-like term, we are sent to the green room, a waiting area packed to overflowing with other senior couples, none of whom smile. Most peer downward intently and appear anxious. Perhaps pink might be a better color choice than green. It's supposedly soothing and employed as a universal symbol of hope in the fight against breast cancer. Barbie, Mary Kay, and Victoria's Secret all use pink to inspire confidence and a youthful outlook. Sometimes it's used in prisons to calm inmates. I think that it would be amusing for NHL teams to paint the opposition change rooms pink so the visiting team might be lulled into a more passive role, at least for the first few minutes of the game. We wait an hour past our scheduled time, the last two people sitting in the green room on a gloomy Friday afternoon. The sky is quite dark, which reminds me of the literary device Pathetic Fallacy that uses the macrocosm to reflect the microcosm, the sort of stuff Shakespeare employed before Caesar's assassination, storms and lightning that portend doom. Today's weather is not reassuring. I'm acutely conscious of the amount of time each patient is allotted. I can readily observe the two examining rooms and the doctors who enter them, dramatic personae in each play, introducing themselves and the fate of the patient. I call one guy Dr. Hurry Up. 
He starts talking as soon as he enters, finishes in two minutes, and sails back out the door. The patient ahead of me is a large man who emerges from the examination room quite slowly. He looks bewildered. He gazes at me and says, Was it warm for you? I feel very warm. He cracks me up. I answer, It depends on the doctor's hands, and I chuckle loudly. An attendant nurse also cracks up. Anything to break the tension. I'm next. My doctor is mercifully slow, methodical, and carefully answers every question. They found the same three sites again in this biopsy. However, the cancer cells are now in the second stage or intermediate grade. This means that a pathologist can recognize them as prostate cells, but they appear in disorganized pattern. That's me, disordered. They are termed intermediate in aggressiveness. This does not augur well. The next and final stage on the continuum is high grade. Nobody wants to go there because those cells are wild as the wind and spread rapidly. The doctor advises that my Gleason score is 7. I wonder if this is akin to the figure skating judges who seem off the mark especially those from the Eastern Bloc, when young Canadians compete against the nasty Russians. It certainly does not reflect one's attitude towards Jackie Gleason and his TV show, which my parents loved and I detested. Gleason scores range from 2 to 10. They indicate how likely a tumor will spread. Because there's a number of different grades of cancer in a biopsy, the pathologist uses this system to try to zero in on ultimate risk. Six or less is low, probably what I scored in my first biopsy. Seven is intermediate, and eight to ten is comparable to George W.'s code orange, or higher. Bodily terrorism, an imminent threat. Thankfully, I'm not yet at the latter stage. However, my earlier fear of multiple hospital parking tickets is not unfounded. The doctor says that I have a choice between surgery or radiation. He says both are equally effective. They don't like to operate on people over 70, but they will. That's my third excerpt. I hope you have enjoyed all three. I must tell you that now that I'm a published author, having written this nonfiction book, Don't Ever Quit, I have discovered that I'm entitled to many benefits. As a public service to other would-be writers, I will now list these benefits. Number one, writing allows me to express my creative side. I can sit idly for hours in a coffee shop with a pad and pencil, and people will gaze at me and think, wow, he looks creative. He has a pad and a pencil. I wonder if I've read any of his books. Perhaps he's studying me as a character in his new novel, or maybe he is just making a shopping list. With a pad and a pencil, you can look creative almost anywhere. On public transit, at the arena, sitting on the toilet, there are endless opportunities. So, it's a great career to have when you love being creative. Number two, you get paid for it. You can look forward to royalties year after year which is passive income. Besides being passive, unless you're Margaret Atwood, your income will also be puny because most authors need a spouse to keep them in food and housing. At income tax time, your deductions will far outnumber your assets. This is why most authors not only look creative, but they also look poor, famished, and furtive. Number three, most people will look upon you kindly and treat you with high esteem, which does not help with the poor, famished, and furtive look. Number four, once you have published something, people will ask you what you're working on, 
and when will you publish next because they assume that it gets easier with every book that you write. Ask them to buy you a coffee so you can talk about it. Number five, people will now consider you to be an authority and an expert on the topic that you've written about, or at least an expert in writing well. Being an expert, you will be asked a lot of questions. You might consider consulting to enhance your cash flow. Number six, you get personal satisfaction from being a writer. If you've published a book, that book becomes your baby, and you will always be extremely proud of it. Unfortunately, you will not be able to purchase diapers and new clothes for your baby unless you're Margaret Atwood. Number seven, you can build on your reputation. You can participate in other types of writing, including blog writing, ghost writing, and article writing. Make sure that you get paid because your book will surely not make you a fortune. Number eight, you can use your writing career to your advantage by branching out and holding seminars and classes. There will always be people who want to benefit from your knowledge because you're an expert. Check out the night school courses being offered where you live. Number nine, one of the biggest benefits of being an author is the fact that you can work from home, which means you can literally work in your pajamas if you like. You can set up your own schedule, take a break when you need to, and work uninterrupted, which provides many benefits on its own. This is why most authors not only look furtive, but also look quite slovenly, unshaven, with food stains on their shirts. Number 10. Writing is a career you can keep for a lifetime. If you hate switching jobs regularly and you love writing, this could be the perfect occupation because there will be no more nerve-wracking interviews or getting frustrated at your current job. If you do decide to write full-time as a career, it would be advantageous to marry into a wealthy family. So you might think that those 10 items are impressive, but I can think of five more advantages of publishing a book. Number one. Being an author allows you to choose whether or not you want mentors. For me, this is a little late in life. I could have used a few mentors decades ago. Now, well, okay, if Margaret Atwood volunteers, Sophia Loren would have been okay too. Number two, you can write completely alone or with others. The choice is up to you. I can't stand the thought of writing with others. I will pass on this advantage. Number three, you can now write on any subject matter that you wish. No more sticking to dull, boring stories or articles. This holds some promise. I know a lady who wrote a really slutty novel under a pen name. If I write one, I might use the name Stormy Daniels or perhaps the Marquis de Sade. Number four, once a published author, people will take you far more seriously and you can then boost your opportunities simply because someone published something you wrote. You know how people get carried away with all those impressive initials after their name? Doctors are the worst. Some even put PhD on their gravestone. Mine will have author prominently displayed under my name. Number five, same with license plates. I wrote this book to help deal with personal crisis and nourish my spirit. It will help anyone afflicted by crisis, you, a family member, or a friend, especially if health-related. It's the perfect hospital gift. Don't Ever Quit is available at Amazon in paperback and ebook formats. It's also available in ebook format at Kobo and Barnes & Noble. If you want to know more about the exciting life of a retiree, listen to more podcasts here. Those with puzzling questions about retirement can still contact me at mjk6648 at gmail.com. And don't forget about my book. I'm Mike Keenan, your retirement coach. 
It's my hope that these podcasts might inspire a chuckle or two from you. Life confronts us with many adversities as we age, and to cope with these setbacks, it's best to cultivate a sense of humor. Laughter is a powerful ally. It can take down crooked leaders and corrupt officials, and it can inspire hope. And that's what the Retirement Coach Podcasts are all about. Thanks for listening. Have a great day, and tune in again next week. Oh,